On this episode of the Great Point Podcast, reality TV star Graham Bunn takes us through his high school, college, and pro hoops career. He discusses how playing at Duke over the summer, he befriended Jay Williams and the remarkable story of how he ended up on The Bachelorette. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers, let's talk dimes, let's talk hoops, let's talk rumor, let's talk opinions, let's talk truth, let's talk future, let's talk present, let's talk past, fundamentals and flash, me running the flow, Stanko running the show like a young Steve Nash, I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. This is the Great Point Podcast, I'm Adam Stanko. Those were the sounds and the lyrical genius of my good friend, Yao Jeez. Please, please go to iTunes and uh, check out Yao Jeez's stuff. Uh, love that guy, and he's a very, very talented guy. You've probably seen him on uh, ESPN's The Journey during the last couple NFL seasons doing some spoken word, and uh, I promise you, you will not be let down if you check out Yao's stuff. Today's show, I- I'm thrilled. Graham Bunn. You may know him uh, from his stints on The Bachelorette, Season 4, Bachelor Pad, Bachelor in Paradise, reality TV star. But also, he's on the number one, number one country uh, music show in America, Graham and Deborah in the morning, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Pacific, uh, out in L.A. on Go Country 105. He's also working on a motivational audiobook, And we're getting him on the Great Point podcast because Graham is also an excellent basketball player, and I don't think people even know that story. So much to talk about with, with Graham Bunn, so I'm thrilled that uh, he's joining us today. Graham, welcome to the Great Point Podcast. Man, I think we might want to shut it down now. I, think, I don't think you can get any better than what just happened right there. I might want to stop while I'm ahead. Thank you so much for the, for the intro. Oh man, I'm probably underselling you. I, I, you know, people say that all the time that uh, that I give them these these huge opens, but I, but I believe in the people that we've been getting on the Great Point podcast, and and I thank you so much for for joining us. I think that the interesting part to me about your life is that it started in the, in the basketball realm, and and that's really why I wanted to get you on. What was your first basketball memory, Graham? Um, I think you know, for me, one, I got to give props in the world to to what basketball has given me in my life I've been very blessed and fortunate to do some amazing things but I think you hit it on the head uh it all was cultivated out of the basketball world and just uh my love for the game and and the relationships and and things that came out of the dedication to the craft of you know of the game so my first memory of the game really was just I, I think you know back in the day the NBA didn't have a television deal I think the only two teams that had deals with NBC was the Lakers and the and the Celtics and you know the Lakers came on late and I just remember in the summertime my dad traveling quite a bit for work and my mom staying up with me in the summertime and just trying to you know relate to me and and, and raise me I, I've got a great mom and we would watch Magic Johnson play and I just remember thinking that he was the coolest guy on the planet he was always so happy it looked like the game gave him so much pleasure, and I wanted to be happy like that. So I started, I started learning how to play point guard, and that's that's how it all started for me. Who taught you how to play the game? Well, my dad was a big influence on me, and you know he he got me involved. He taught me the fundamentals, and he's a dress blues winning marine. So he kind of instilled in me that uh, you gotta you gotta work for everything you get, and. 
know, I remember playing in a, in a rec league and, and not being very good. And, and one of the kids on my team, his dad was the coach, and uh, he was taller than the rest of us. And, and we were playing on like eight foot goals. I, I went four or five games without even touching the ball. And my dad sat me down and said, hey, if you want to be good at this game, you got to learn how to play defense because they're not going to p- pass you the ball. So I kind of <laughs> learned at an early age that if you outwork the guy next to you, you know, you're going to you're going to see results and dividends. So you know, I, I got to give my dad all the credit in the world that he instilled in me early. Hard work will get you places that talent cannot. That's definitely true. And you've gone some some places. You grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, went to Wake Forest High School in, in North Carolina, coached by Chuck Hess. Tell me about your high school career. My high school career was, was tumultuous, uh, to say the least, but I, I was very blessed that uh, Wake Forest High School has got the most state titles of any school in North Carolina. So, it's, uh, you know, I think they won eight in the 70s alone. Uh, Larry Lindsay was a legend there and, and kind of cultivated a basketball culture. It was religion. Uh, and so, you know, growing up there, you wanted to be on the basketball team. You wanted to play varsity. You wanted to be the point guard. You wanted to be the leader, the captain. And Coach Hess was, was a, a Bobby Knight disciple, uh, you know, motion offense, rewarded hard work. Uh, he ran motion offense and was dedicated to team play. And I, you know, I was a late bloomer. I, I definitely, I got pulled up the varsity as a freshman, played point guard and had a limited role for, for much of my freshman, sophomore year, and then started as a junior. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately to get to college, you got to put up some numbers. So, we made the state title game my sophomore year. I opened some eyes in the AAU circuit uh, in the summer times. And then for me, lucky enough, uh, I opened enough eyes with, with the way that I played the game. I, I was a well-rounded player. I ended up being first-team All-State in high school and made the East-West game and, you know, Wake County Player of the Year and, and all those accolades. But I think I only averaged about 15 points a game in my senior year in, in high school. I, you know, I played point guard. The team was really good. And, I, you know, I tried to rebound. I played defense. And, played point so I averaged quite a quite a few assists but I was more of a locker room guy I prided myself on being a leader uh being somebody that my teammates could come to on and off the floor and uh the I think the best thing anyone could ever say about me with my career was I was you know I was a winner and uh, I think that carried me further than any kind of statistical resume that I could ever put out you went on to play at New Hampton Prep which if people don't know it's the same school that produced Rashad McCants Loris Moten uh, Noah Vonley, and then coaches Ed Cooley at Providence, Conzo Martin at, at Cal, storied history at New Hampton Prep. And you were the teammate of Darius Sangalias, who played at Wake Forest, Mike Causey played at Harvard, Collier Drayton, Northwestern. So you played on some loaded uh, squad there at New Hampton Prep. What was behind your decision to attend prep school? Well, for me, one I, I gotta I gotta thank Coach Arsenal there. I believe he's the AD there. It was it was questionably the best year of my life. It was definitely for my future, whether it be academic or just athletic. The best decision I've ever made was was to attend prep school. Coming out of high school, there were some questions about my athleticism and my ability to guard. Uh, the point guard position, being six feet tall and uh, having, I think, the first negative vertical ever recorded, negative. <laughs> uh, just like anybody in life, when, when people tell you that you can't do something, for me, uh, you know, I've always been my harshest critic. I knew in my heart that I was a Division One point guard and that I, I had what it took to be successful, not only on the basketball court, but in the classroom and just in life. So I took that postgraduate year. I actually worked out for uh, Coach Fletcher Errett at Fork Union, and I worked out for uh, 
who at the time, I think his name was Coach Nelson. He actually left New Hampton before I arrived and coached Arsenal. That was his first year. And it was a hard decision, but it was the best decision of my life as far as basketball goes, uh, to play on that team. And I was fortunate enough to be named team captain and MVP of the team. And I, I still tease Darius Angala, you know, to this day on his birthday every year. I say, hey, man, you know, that NBA career was great, but not winning MVP in high school, that's still got to burn you. And, he, you know, he laughs about it. But, yeah, I was very fortunate. We, we made the title game, and I got to compete against Eric Barkley, who was the national point guard of the year at the time, and, and played, uh, you know, played really well. And we ended up losing by, I think, 10, 8 or 10. It was a close game, but we fell, we fell short. But it kind of validated the entire decision to, to take another year, bulk up, work on my athleticism, and really prove to all the coaches – that had interest in me but had questions that, hey, I'm, I'm going to make it. I, I've got what it takes inside to put in the work to get to where I need to be to play on the Division One level. And, and it worked out for me. I, I, I look back on that year, and I, I'm just so thankful, and I encourage any kid that has a dream that's on the fence, hey, don't rush it. You know, put the work in. Take another year. Don't, don't let anybody tell you what you can and can't do. Prove to yourself. Prove to everybody else that if you believe in your heart, you can make it come true. Now, New Hampton Prep was up in New Hampshire. You'd grown up in North Carolina. How difficult was it to actually make the move, go to this prep school sort of on your own, uh, as opposed to just jumping on a college scene when you could have played D2 or D3 ball at the time? Well, ECU had, 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 had offered me a spot, and Carolina actually had, had offered interest in being a walk-on at the time. So it was a difficult decision because, I had been consulted by some people that I that I trusted and, you know, had told me, look, you could be a very good Division three or Division two player right now, and, you know, you could take a year and, and still just be that. But um, it was difficult until I got on campus, and when I was shown the facilities and I was laid out the, the schedule and how the facilities would be open to me to use as much as I want, there was no limit on the gym time, there was no limit on the weight room, there was no limit on – managers there to help you get better and coach Arsenal he was a young guy this was his first head coaching job at at, at New Hampton I think he had come from uh, another prep school but this was a chance to prove himself he was motivated and when I when I met him I shook his hand and he he let me know that hey if you want this we can make it happen but you got to be willing to work and that was music to my ears I mean I I've never been the most talented guy and I definitely not the most gifted guy but uh, I'll put my hard hat on and, and you know I'll I won't stop until it till it happens. So, you know, it was just it was a beautiful thing and, and coming from, from Raleigh where basketball was a religion, when someone tells you, Hey, the gym's open twenty four seven, I mean that that's more like home than I than I knew. So it wasn't a big adjustment for me knowing that, hey, basketball is culture here, basketball is religion. You take care of your book work, we'll take care of everything else. And I was in. That was that was the sell, the sell for me. All right. So after you have the MVP season over Darius Sangali, as we got to point out. Uh, yeah, I love that. New- I mean, you know, at six foot even over a six ten guy getting recruited by everybody in the country, I, I, I and I'm going to hold on to that for my life. Hey, as you should, as you should. So after you have the MVP season, now the recruiting process starts. You end up at Bowling Green under Dan Dockich, uh, which will lead to a, a longer discussion. We're going to get into. But first, tell me about the recruiting process and, and why you ended up following Coach Dockage to Bowling Green. Um, well, the recruiting process was actually really hard on me. I, I wanted to play for Coach Jerry Wainwright at UNCW, and uh, I had taken an unofficial visit there. I'm from North Carolina. They had no football program there, so I knew that 
the facilities and, and what the, the school was about, I knew there'd be a great following with the student body, uh, which, you know, was exciting for me. I, I really wanted to go there. I, I got a lot of interest from Tennessee, which I thought, you know, it would be difficult to compete on the SEC level as a freshman or sophomore for me because physically I just didn't feel that I was on that level. Uh, I felt I had the capacity to play, and I definitely had the skill and the work ethic, but I wanted to play immediately. You know, I had taken a year after high school and prolonged my college career, and I was ready to jump in. I wanted to play somewhere right away. And when Dan Dockage got involved, that was his sales pitch. Hey, you can come here and play immediately, which I did. You know, I went and I started my first game. I actually led the team in scoring in preseason as a, as a freshman, hit a game winner on uh, one of the ESPN affiliates in my first game and against Northern Iowa. So, you know, my, my career got to a, a big jump start, but that was the selling point. You know, I was recruited by most of the teams in the Southern Conference. San Diego State recruited me, and I, I really liked it out there, but a little far away from home. Uh, and when, you know, Dockage came, he, he had a history with my high school coach. My high school coach trusted him. Uh, he ran a similar offense that my high school ran. I was familiar with it. And, he, you know, at the time, he preached some of the morals and, and, and integrity char- characteristics that I had lived my life by. So I thought it would be a great match. Unfortunately, that, that didn't prove to be true. But, uh, you know, I did go to Bowling Green and was fortunate enough to win a conference championship and play with some really good players. So I don't regret it, and it definitely taught me a lot of things about life and dealing with people. And uh, we've, we've had our jokes about it in the past, but uh, it was a difficult decision to leave there, but I am glad that I went. All right, so, so we'll slow down for, for a moment, though, on, on the Bowling Green stuff. First of all, you bring up your, your game winner in your very first game against Northern Iowa – I read something about this in which there's a Bowling Green part of the student section called the Sideline Squad who actually were birthed on that day. They said they, they fell in love with Graham Bunn, the player, after he made that, that game winner against Northern Iowa and brought so much excitement to the program as a freshman in his very first game. So I don't know if you were aware of that or not, but uh, – you, uh... I've, I've been told that. I, I have been told that. I've, I've heard the sideline squad still exists, but I, I did hear that it started on that night. And uh, that's, you know, that's incredibly flattering and humbling. Uh, <laughs> I think it started with a, a few young ladies. It was sorority night that night. So uh, I, couldn't have, I couldn't have picked a better game to, to have that. You know, first game <laughs> I got to start and hit the game winner on sorority night. You know, so we delivered pizzas to uh, the winning sorority and, and then, Needless to say, I, I think that performance on and off the, the court that night birthed the sideline squad. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's uh, almost as big as being MVP at uh, New Hampton Prep. Yeah, uh, it's, it's up there. <laughs> it's, it's up there for me. Sorority, MVP on sorority night is a good thing as a freshman. It is, it is a good thing. It'd be a good thing now, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So let me give some background to, to people listening to this. Graham and I met through Jay Williams, which I yep. also want to get into. Jay Williams, former Duke star. And, and one uh, of the best guys out there. Just one of the best guys out there. He really is. And, and we could talk about that for days. And, and, and we'll get into that for sure. But uh, Jay had brought some friends to ESPN when I was working there. And uh, one of those guys was Graham. We met, hit it off, all that. But what was interesting to me, Graham, was while we were there, you hadn't seen Coach Stockage. I just want to make sure I'm recalling the story correctly. You hadn't seen Coach Stockage since you had decided to transfer from Bowling Green, at least not talk to him, I I recall at the time. You correct me if I'm wrong on that. 
No, yeah, I had seen him one time. Uh, Brent Clayson, my teammate at Bowling Green, asked me to be in his wedding. And I had flown to Nebraska to be in his wedding. And uh, this is a true story. He actually, after the wedding, Coach Dawkins was there. Uh, Dawkins didn't take me leaving very well and said some pretty disparaging and damaging character things about me when I left, which was disturbing to hear because I'm a character guy. You know, I'm, I'm not a, mm-hmm. I've never claimed to be the most talented guy, but I'm a locker room guy. I, I want everyone to do well. And anyone that's ever spent a few minutes with me would never believe anything that, that I was told was said. But uh, I saw Dockage at the wedding. Brent Clayson, who was the groom, had asked all the, the Bowling Green players to get together for a picture. I did not go over because I had transferred. I was, I was a, a Mountaineer. I'm a proud App State Mountaineer. And Brent, you know, came over and said, hey, man, you're one of the groomsmen. I, I want you in this picture. And I said, okay. So I walk over there, and Dockage actually removed himself from the picture until I left because he didn't want to be in a picture with me. That was the only time I had seen Dockage in the five years before that moment at ESPN. So it was a little bit awkward when I saw him because I, I had a little bit of animosity and resentment towards that. Being at my one of my best friend's wedding, being in the wedding, and having that go on at the reception was a little bit uncomfortable. I'm sure. I'm sure. So – I, just so I'm actually backtrack before we get even to the ESPN story, what was your relationship like with Dockich while you were a player before you decided uh, it, to transfer? My relationship with Dockich was hot and cold. I mean, I, I got to give Dockich all the credit in the world. I think he's a genius basketball mind. I mean, I, I went to, to Bowling Green because I believed in, in his, his basketball IQ, and there's, there's nothing I could ever say to dispute that he, he does have a great basketball mind. I mean, he, he – I learned a lot from him. He definitely made me a better player. But, you know, the way he treated kids and uh, the way he treated me towards the end of my career there, I just didn't think was very fair. But life's not fair. So, you know, that's just not for everybody. And it taught me a valuable lesson of that, you know, you can't you can't force things. But uh, we didn't communicate very well. You know, uh, I started off and – you know, played played well as a freshman and, and, and gave him everything I had, and it just wasn't enough for him. And, you know, there was times where, you know, I performed well and we would set up, I, you know, we'd set up scrimmages and, hey, whoever plays the best is going to play tomorrow and would have a great, great scrimmage. I, I think one, one scrimmage I ended up having about 28 or 30 in the scrimmage and didn't, didn't even see the floor the next day. But uh, the team won the game, so that's all that really matters. And, and as a coach, you make difficult decisions, but the communication process of, hey, I just think this is better for the team, that never happened. I, I was just left to figure it out, and, you know, that's part of life, but, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, and you're giving your heart and soul to somebody, and you just, you 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 feel like your, your feelings don't matter in any way, shape, or form, and then uh, I just didn't feel like we communicated very well. It just wasn't a great situation for me. And I think, honestly, on that team, I think we had six or seven players transfer after winning the conference championship. So I don't think I was alone in that sentiment. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that. I, I know it was a difficult time for you. So so I, you then transferred to, to App State. But if we're then moving ahead in this story to the time again, when I had met you at ESPN, it was really fascinating because here I am just meeting you for the first time, two basketball heads and you go into the green room uh, with Jay to go meet some of the college basketball guys and who's sitting there as an analyst, but coach Dockage. And, and what was crazy to me about, about that instance taking place is the idea that before you were going in, I remember you telling me, you felt like you were in a way back at, at Bowling Green again. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I dreaded it. I, I didn't want to see the guy. Uh, I wish him the best in his life. And, then, you know, he's, he's definitely done well for himself. I mean, being a working for ESPN is a dream job. You know, that's, that's I'm a hoop junkie, as you are, as yourself. I mean, it dictates my life. Uh, I watch NBA TV more than I should. It so My <laughs> productivity level during college basketball and definitely during March Madness is, is a negative. It's about the same as my vertical. Uh, but that day, yeah, I didn't want to see him. You know, I, I just had a bad experience with him, and I, I didn't feel supported when I decided to leave. You know, I, I believed in the guy when I went there. Uh, he was a hardworking kid at, at IU and everything I had read. He gave me his college number, wanted me to wear it when I got there. Uh, and we had such a strong relationship at first, and then it became so cold and negative, and the, the, the blood between us was bad. It's never really gotten any better. Um, yeah, I didn't want to see him, and it was it was super uncomfortable because for me in my life, for for the most part, I feel like people like me, and that's just not the case with Coach Dockage. Yeah, I mean, and and that's why I bring it up, not not to harp on something negative, but more so, um, I think because there's so many kids out there that are going through bad situations with their coaching staff, and sometimes it makes sense, and sometimes it doesn't for whatever reason. And the wild part is that so many of us have experienced that. I think it's just part of life, and we deal with it with bosses, we deal with it with teachers, and certainly from from coaches. And it's it's almost great to see someone as confident as yourself um, and as enthusiastic all the time. And I, I will always question why he's he's got a problem with you because, I mean, other than the fact that you're a very talented player and decided not to play for him anymore, I mean, that makes sense. But just to carry it on for as long as he has, it, it won't make sense. But I, I, handle, I think that you handle these things with grace, and uh, I've been impressed with uh, how you've handled the relationship moving forward. So I, I commend you on that for sure. Well, I, I really appreciate it. And, and again, you know, I, I don't want to sound like the, the salty player of like, oh, it didn't work out, so he has hard feelings for his coach. That really wasn't the case. I've, you know, I just, I've got such a great relationship. I mean, my high school coach is, is someone that I, I look at as a father figure. My, my prep school coach is someone that I love to death. And even my coach at App State, you know, we keep in touch. And, uh, you know, I've been offered the coaching job at my high school, my prep school, and my college. So to have a negative experience with, with one coach and have such a positive one with the rest, uh, you know, it's something I'll never understand. You know, I, I thought I was a coach's kid. So, you know, who knows? But it did teach yeah. me, like I said, you know, you deal with bosses in life and you deal with coworkers in life. And uh, it has given me valuable lessons off the court in dealing with people that you just honestly, when it comes down to it, don't like. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, you went on App State to end up being a phenomenal performer during your senior year there, just to go over some numbers, you averaged over 12 points a game. You averaged nearly five assists. Uh, you shot uh, 48% from the field. During your junior year, you shot 52% from the field. And uh, during your junior year, you shot 53% from three, and you shot over 40% from three. Your senior year, I mean, you put up some great numbers. And your senior year, uh, you were first-team all-conference, all-academic, and your team was second in Division One, scoring 83.9 points a game. So talk about that for a little bit, the idea that everything seemed to click finally. Finally, uh, in your college career, you got to a situation that you wanted. Yeah, I was very lucky and fortunate. It doesn't come together for everybody. And, and for me, I think, you know, I put in – I had a long road to get to where I got to. And when I went to App State, I played for a first-year coach, and he was trying to figure out his – his whole scheme and his style. And, you know, my junior year, I actually, 
at one point, I think it was 11 games in, I was shooting about 70% from the field and leading the team in scoring, but we were playing 15 guys. I mean, I think I was seventh or eighth in, on the team in minutes. Um, you know, and, and there were some highlights that season. I think my first home game after playing, you know, after sitting out a year, and sitting out was hard, but, it, you know, it gave me another year to work and grow and become a better player. Uh, we played ECU, who had told me, hey, look, we're, we're moving into Conference USA, so we don't feel that you can perform you know, at the level we need you to perform at. So we're just, we're going to have to pass. And then we played them at home and I had 15 points, 10 assists and no turnovers and a win. Um, That was, you know, that was very rewarding. Uh, But yeah, my senior year, I was very fortunate to play on a team that had a lot of weapons. Uh, We were second in the, in the nation in scoring and uh, definitely, you know, the numbers aren't crazy, but almost 13 a game and shot a high clip. I played point guard, uh, first team all-conference and MVP of that team and, and won a conference championship, won the North Division. Um, and just, you know, like I said, I, I tried to do what was best for the team. And, you know, I, I do feel like, you know, playing point, I, I was more of a combo guy, but it was best for the team to play point. And, you know, we won some games and Hopefully, you know, the guys look back that are on that team and, and think of me fondly and, and remember those days with, with, with pleasantries more, more so than any kind of difficult. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Now, now, during your time playing in college, your offseason, you ended up playing with some of the Duke guys, and that's how you met Jay Williams. So uh, why don't you tell me about that, your whole experience playing against some of those uh, fantastic Duke teams uh, in the offseason? Yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a diehard Tar Heel fan, but I'll preach to the day I die what an amazing coach and, and just honestly person that Coach K is. I was fortunate enough to meet Coach K. I was I was a, a mainstay at his camp in the summer times. I think uh, one year Johnny Dawkins was my coach, another year Quinn Snyder was my coach, and uh, I, I developed a, a relationship with them as a, as a young kid, and then so I reached out, I had friends in the basketball office and I reached out to some of them during the summer and said, Hey, I'd love to work the, the camp. I'm a, I'm a college basketball player. Uh, I'm in the middle of a transfer. Coach K has actually seen me play a few times. We played in the UCB tournament. They were recruit Craig Dawson at the time. And I had a, a really good game against King Kingston high school. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you. You can, you're more than welcome to work the camp. And, and if it works out to where uh, you can get into some of the counselor games at night with some of our players, you know, please feel free to do so. And that's where I met uh, a, a wide-eyed freshman with uh, a lot of talent that a lot of people have heard of. His name was Jason Williams at the time. And we actually did not get along where I didn't get along with him at first. Uh, I, I was one of the guys that I just wanted to get better. So we went head-to-head a lot. And uh, we played the same position he gave me a beating every time I stepped on the court. But uh, I guess I made enough of an impression that he ended up calling out state and calling the basketball office and saying, hey, I need I need this kid's information. I, I'd like to work out with him. And we ended up becoming private workout partners. And we spent the, the next two summers living together off and on. Uh, he crashed with me. I'd crash with him. And we'd work out three, four times a week. And just, you know, we really got after it. And you cannot get a better education than learning from a guy like that. I mean, he was just one of the best college players or just college, just players in general that I'd ever seen, let alone ever been on the court with. What did you learn from him? Well, I think Jay was ultimately one of the things that I kind of struggled with after leaving Bowling Green was my confidence. You know, I, I, I lost a lot of faith in my ability because I, I felt like I had done well and I, I felt like I didn't understand how, 
you know, I'd have games at Bowling Green. I think we played uh, Western Michigan at home when I had 16 as a freshman and then not play the next game or something. You know, it's just it's such hot and cold. I, I didn't understand if I was, you know, if I was going to make a, a, an impact in Division One basketball, if I was a good point guard. And, and just seeing a guy that was so talented and so good at what he does have those same struggles but actually overcome them, get on the court, and just really go after it and, and go after his dreams taught me the same thing. Like, okay, you know, this kid's younger than me. Um, he is talented, but he, he encounters the same mental struggles that I do. And, he, you know, he taught me how to deal with that stuff. He, he taught me, hey, look, you know, you're, you're out here with the Duke guys, and, and we, we're competing for a national title. You can compete with anybody in the country. You just got to believe in yourself. I think that went a long way for me. I went back to school and – you know, I had been playing against Chris Duhon and more than holding my own, and then having Jay Williams actually seek me out and say, "Look, I, I, you know, you make me better. Let's let's work out together." I just gave me a lot of confidence. Something that I feel, unfortunately, Dockage and Bowling Green had sat for me at the time. Hmm. After college ends up, what I'm curious about is you had this close relationship with Jay, which you maintain to this day. How did you find out about his motorcycle accident? Oh yeah, that's. That's a hard one. So Jay and I were working out together at Duke camp, and uh, we finished up. We wrapped up on a Saturday, I believe, if my memory serves me. It's been a few years. But uh, we were leaving, and he came to me and said, hey, man, I'm, why don't you come up to Chicago with me? We'll get some workouts in. Um, I've, got, uh, I've got my private shooting coach coming, and I'd love to show you Chicago. I had never been at the time. And it'd be great, but unfortunately, that was that was a violation of Division One rules. I was still in college, so that that wasn't going to happen. I, you know, I said, "Man, thank you so much," but you know, I'm still a I'm still a student athlete. I I can't accept a plane ticket or a, you know, one. I, I was poor. Every as any college athlete knows, you don't have a lot of spending money, so I didn't have the funds to fly to Chicago, and I couldn't accept the plane ticket because that was illegal. So um, he flew to Chicago and. The next day I got up and I went and played ball on a Sunday. I had a workout at one with some of my high school teammates that were in town. And one of them came to me and said, hey, man, I'm so sorry to hear about your boy. And I, I, I asked them, I, what are you talking about? And they said, yeah, your, your boy broke his leg in a motorcycle accident. And, I, you know, I was scared. But when they said he broke his leg, I said, okay, well, that's, you know, people break their legs. And then that's something that you can come back from. It wasn't until I got home 20 minutes later that I, you know, I got on the internet and I pulled up, you know, what was going on. And, uh, it almost brought me to tears because when it was described, it was horrific. I mean, it was just something out, even just outside of basketball, you know, at one point they thought he was going to lose his leg. And, you know, I was just worried about quality of life, let alone his basketball career, because if anyone's ever spent two seconds with Jay Williams, they understand what an amazing person he is. And uh, to this day, that's one of the saddest moments that I've ever had. But, it also has provided such a wonderful change of direction. You know, I feel like it was a flowing river and, and it was a massive rock that, that kind of parted the river and, and made his life go in a different direction. And, and I'm just, I couldn't be more proud of the guy. I think he's amazing at his job. I think he's shaping and molding young kids in college that, that could use, you know, his story and his guidance to, to have better lives. And I think he could be more influential now than, than he ever could have been as a player. There's no doubt about that. Jay is a wonderful guy and has been there for me as a friend and obviously for you throughout so many years. Just to go back to that story for a moment, though, after you heard about everything, when did you then get a chance to talk to him and actually see what he was going through? Well, I, I was very fortunate. Uh, Jay and I became really close very quickly. 
you know, after we worked out, you know, we were workout partners in the summers. We became, you know, we became brothers. Uh, people always joke about that, but we became like family. So, you know, I was fortunate. You know, he asked me to come to the draft. I, I sat with the family and, and was, a, you know, stayed with him in New York City when he got drafted and was a part of that whole process. And that was really cool. Uh, after the accident, he was transferred, I want to say three or four days later down to Duke Hospital. And um, you'd have to check with him. But at the time I was told, that he was only that, you know, there was police there. They were keeping media out. You know, obviously at that moment in time, they didn't know how severe the injuries were going to be. They didn't know, they didn't want to release statements. And I'm, you know, I, I can't imagine with, with the bulls and, and, and everything that goes into being a pro athlete. And on that level, you know, Jay was, you know, the future of that franchise. So they weren't allowing anyone in, but uh, his mom reached out to me and said, Jay wants to see you. Can you come over to the hospital? So I saw him three or four days later and stayed with him in the hospital for as long as I could when they, when they released him and, and he stayed at a house in Durham, North Carolina. I went and stayed and, and, you know, literally slept in a Barker lounger next to his bed. And we, you know, we talked about life. We talked about, you know, everything was going to, was going to be fine. This was going to be a hard, hard road, but that, you know, I believed in him and that he could do it. And, um, so I saw him fairly, fairly soon thereafter. It was difficult, you know, rods coming out of his body, IVs all in his arms. Uh, he was in and out of consciousness quite a bit and obviously very, it, it was a traumatic experience, uh, for me, but obviously really traumatic for him. Jay's just impacted so many people in so many different ways, um, you know, as a player, but then now just through his work on TV and he's writing a book about everything going on with him. And uh, I know that's going to be an inspiration to so many more people. So the more people that can sort of hear about Jay's story of redemption, really, I mean, I don't think there's any other way to put it. I mean, the guy was on the cusp of being an NBA superstar and I have no doubts about that. I mean, there's no doubt. And he's talked about it many times about the idea that he had finally figured things out at the end of his rookie year. So there's shame in the playing part of it that, he, that we as fans selfishly don't get a chance to experience Jay Williams, the NBA career as we would have liked. But uh, I'm so happy that, that he's done so much with his life that it's awesome. I appreciate you sharing all that, all that with me. Yeah. Um, the book go is going to be incredible. Not, not even just for basketball or sports fans. I mean, anyone that's just a fan of true success stories and overcoming adversity. I mean, it's, it's going to be a must read. I know that for sure. Jay, has promised me that he's jumping on the podcast soon, so hopefully we can uh, he can tell some of those stories at, at that time. You end up playing pro ball in Germany, which I think is, is pretty cool. And one of the things that people talk about when when guys play pro ball overseas is that the experience is just so unique and and so different. Can you tell me about your experience playing over there? Yeah, I had a. a- I had a good experience. Unfortunately, my body started to break down. I, I put in a lot of hours uh, in the weight room. I put a lot of hours in the gym on top of mandatory hours. You know, I, I was a guy that always prided himself on doing more than what was required or more than what was expected. Uh, and so when I went to Germany, uh, I had a great start. You know, I think my first game, I was 10 of 11 for like 25 points. We, we, we won at home. It was, it was a great thing. Well, the next day, you know, I, I'll, everyone was sleeping. Everybody went out. We didn't have a game for another four or five days. And so everyone was slept in. We had the day off. I went right to the gym and, and got in the weight room. Uh, and that morning actually herniated a disc in the squat rack. So I, I was injured for, you know, the first couple of weeks after a really good breakout game, came back, uh, had a successful stint. 
I think I think I was fourth in the league in scoring for a while, and then broke my shooting hand. So, unfortunately, oh. my my season was cut short. Uh, <laughs> I was a shooter, so having a broken right hand didn't help my offensive game that that much. So I ended up going home, and you know, taking a, an evaluation of what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I got to check that off the list. Uh, I never would have thought that I'd be lucky enough to play professional basketball and get paid to do so and then have the success on the, the pro level that I did. I mean, I, I averaged more as a pro than I ever did in college, but uh, it was actually the first time I ever played two guard full time. Uh, so uh, it was good. It was fun. I, I never got to play that style. I, I'd always wondered if I could if I could be a scorer, you know, predominantly. I was always a playmaker in, in, in a point guard in college and high school. Uh, and in prep school, and so to be able to to shoot the ball, because I always prided myself on being a good shooter in the pros, and and see those numbers go up, and 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 play a different role, and have success with it, it was it was validating. But uh, you know, I decided to hang them up after that, after I broke my hand, and yeah, very fortunate, very blessed, and just glad to say, you know, if I'm ever fortunate enough to have kids, I can say, hey, I was a, at one point in time in my life, I was a pro athlete. There's no no one who can dispute that fact. So congratulations on uh, playing pro ball. You then end up doing the Bachelorette, and this is in 2008. I, I got to hear how this came about. So how do you end up Graham Bunn, pro basketball player in Germany, to a few years later on the Bachelorette? Take me through that story. I mean, it's a little bit unbelievable, and uh, <laughs> I know that we – we joke around and we tease, but uh, even ABC is kind of, it's, it's, it's a funny story. So I was living in New York. I was actually modeling at the time and it, you know, uh, I'm not very proud of those days. I, I really wasn't contributing to society. One of the greatest things about basketball is that you feel like you're a part of something greater than yourself and the camaraderie with the guys and you're working toward a common goal. I was in New York modeling and, and that just, that, that facet of success does not exist. It's kind of like you're, you're, your success is based totally on yourself, and then and it's not really rewarding if you're if you come from a team background. But uh, I ended up losing somebody in my family that I was very close to, and I was having a hard time with it. At the time, I was bartending on the side to make extra money, and I was dating somebody uh, in New York City that uh, I was, you know, really really fond of, and it started to fall apart and crumble. Or right around the time I lost a family member that was actually the closest person I had ever lost in my life. And I flew home for the funeral. Uh, it was February 10th that, that uh, the funeral was held. And I stayed with my family until the 12th. And I, I flew back to New York to surprise the girl I was dating, only to find out that she had made plans with someone else on Valentine's Day. And so obviously wow. that that hit pretty hard for me, um, dealing with what I was dealing with. So I I went to the bar and, and, and I was working that night and, and unfortunately I'm not very proud of it, but uh, it happens that we all have our struggle. I was drinking a little too much and I was battling a small, small stint of depression. I feel like at the time and um, someone came up to me and, and said, Hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a scout for a reality television show. I think you'd be great for, the bachelorette and I sort of laughed it off because to be honest with you and again I'm not proud of it and I don't condoning it or I'm not I'm not saying this is the way to deal with your problems but I I had had too much to drink you know I I had just buried somebody in my family that I loved very much I was going through a difficult breakup that I was not even aware of you know I came home and that kind of that kind of got 
thrust upon me very quickly. And so I, I dismissed it and, and, and went on and finished my night and, and went home. And the next day, uh, again, the person showed up at my job and said, look, I, I'm serious. I, you know, I think you'd be great on the show. You don't have to do any, you don't need to make a tape. You don't need to do anything. All you got to do is, uh, pass the physical and you're on. And so uh, after speaking to my parents, they were a little bit worried about me. I was never a drinker in college, never a drinker in, in life. And so they, you know, they were a little bit worried about how I was dealing with all these hardships and they thought it would be a great distraction and a way to meet a nice girl. And so they said, Hey, we think you should go. And so I did. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I feel like I'm left speechless here and that doesn't typically happen. How much uh, at the time did you feel like, I can't believe this great moment. I, I don't want to even say great because it's probably the wrong term, but how much did you feel like, wow, this amazing opportunity just happened when I'm at one of my lowest points? Yeah, for me, it was, it was, it was a, a much needed distraction. You know, I, I, I had never dealt with loss the way I, I was dealing with that at the time. And, uh, basically the pitch to me was, Hey, look, we're going to put you in a mansion. Uh, you're going to be, doing really cool things and you're going to meet a lot of great people and we're going to introduce you to a beautiful girl. And so at that moment in my time or that moment in my life, uh, I was sold. That sounds great. Uh, you know, a free vacation to California, uh, to meet a, a nice girl sounds good. And, and I was told, you know, don't worry if, if, if it's not for you, you can leave at any time. We're, we're not going to pressure you to do anything you don't want, but we think that we really think that you guys would hit it off. So, uh, for me, it was, I was the, the whole time I was on the show, I was a little bit still in shell shock. You know, I, I, I was missing my family. I knew that my parents were, were struggling as well, worried about me and then obviously dealing with the loss in our family. Um, and it came right on the heels of burying somebody in my family. So uh, if anyone saw that first show, I was a little bit on the quiet side. You know, I didn't talk a lot <laughs> because I was just dealing with a lot personally. But yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. And hopefully I, I handled myself with integrity and, and character and came off not embarrassing my family too much. I think that it's safe to say that you have not embarrassed your family, Graham. I, I can say that. <laughs> well, what, was the first, what was the first thing that changed in your life because of reality TV? Um, I, I think just the visibility of what I was doing with my life at the time uh, I was that I had went on the show. I, I had started a clothing company called 46NYC that raised money for children's charities. And it was something I, I was really passionate about. I was doing it with my best friend and, and, and partner in business, uh, Hal Kivett. He had flown up. He had graduated from App State. He was a teammate of mine at App State. And we were best friends. And, and I said, hey, man, let's, why don't, you know, if you don't have any plans or you're trying to figure out your, your life, why don't you come up to New York? Well, you know, I hope you get a job at the bar. Maybe you and I can start a company together. We were both business management majors. Uh, he was on the chancellor's list. I was on the dean's list. So I felt like we had a, we if we put our heads together, we could come up with something successful. So after the show, just the amount of light and attention uh, that was broadcast on what I was doing with my life was was shocking. I, I didn't, I had no idea how many people watched that show. And then, um, unfortunately, there was a small scandal in that. I had asked to leave the show. Um, we portrayed it like I didn't. We, you know, I didn't want to embarrass the girl. So I said, however, however you want to handle it, let's do it that way. I, I don't think that I'm going to propose. Um, you know, I care about you and I still care about her. She's a great girl. We're friends to this day. Uh, I, I said, I'll, I'll do it however you want. 
And so when, when it did come out that I had asked to leave, and that's not kind of how the way it was portrayed, you know, a lot of light in the tabloids were following me around, uh, you know, at different parties and venues. And I, I had never thought that my life was that interesting. So it was just, it was weird to deal with that, but it faded like anything else. It went away pretty quickly. Any good stories from the tabloids following you in those days? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, being a us weekly, I ended up dating an actress, uh, that was on ABC, you know, quickly thereafter. And, you know, just, just seeing some of the, just seeing some of the headlines, you know, Playboy and all this stuff with things that I had never really been called. It was just humorous. And, um, but yeah, meeting, meeting people afterwards. And, uh, I was very fortunate, you know, the bachelor has been good to me and, and I've got some really close friends that, that work on the show. And, uh, I still call them friends to this day and I owe them a lot. They've, they've definitely been supportive of all the things that I want to do in my life. Yeah, I was just very fortunate. People have, have been very kind to me from, from that franchise. One of the things that I picked up right away when I got to know you and I went to one of your fundraising events is exactly what you just hit on, the idea that there's a close community between the guys and girls that uh, are part of the Bachelor and Bachelorette series. What do you think it is that bonds all of you guys? Well, I think it's such a unique experience. I mean, it's a crazy thing to to put yourself on on television and you know, whatever anyone says from the show, contestants, I always find it humorous when they say, oh, I got a bad edit. I mean, that's really not a great statement because they can't air anything you don't say or do. You know, if you are who you are. And I think the show just kind of illustrates that on a very grand scope. And I don't think anybody's prepared for how big that is. The show's so successful and deals with things that everybody deals with in life. And I think that's why the show is compelling. Um, and, we, you know, uh, I would venture to say you should never encompass everybody in, in a blanket statement, but everybody wants to find love. So it's interesting to see how other people go about it. And um, yeah, I think that for the most part, and I did, I held a, an annual lemonade stand that you came to and thank you so much for being supportive of that. That raised money for pediatric cancer research. And some of the people that I felt strongly about their character and their morals and someone I thought was a good representation of my company and what I was doing with my life, they all came out and supported, and I couldn't be more thankful and blessed to have the support of, of, the, of the, the good and the, the best representation of the Bachelor franchise. I mean, the people that, that spent time and, and helped me raise money for that cause, uh, I'm eternally grateful to. And uh, could, I have nothing but wonderful things to say about the Bachelor franchise and all, and, and my experience there, was, it was just great. And, and it helped me grow as a person. Well, that day forever changed me because in terms of my opinion of, of that franchise, because the people they were uh, just to give their time and how generous everyone was. I was, I was certainly very, very impressed. I wanted to ask you, uh, which other reality stars are, are fairly good basketball players? Ooh, that's good. I'm actually playing in the, in the E-League out here in LA, which has been really cool. Um, you know, actors and, and people in the entertainment league, it's been, it's been a, a wonderful thing. I'm on the San Antonio Spurs. I am proud to say we are four and two, uh, getting some big wins. Uh, do you watch the show Ridiculousness? No, I do not either. It's on MTV, but uh, there's a kid. His name is Stilo Brim. I, I, he's you know he's big in reality television. He's a really good basketball player. Uh, Michael B. Jordan from he's a big movie star now. Uh, Fantastic yeah. Four, The Human Torch, uh, Fruitvale Station. Uh, Friday Night Lights. He's a really the good wire. basketball player. He, the Wire. Yeah. Uh, 
he's done a, a, a plethora of shows. He's he's very talented, very good. T- Terrell Owens is a good basketball player. He's been out here. The game, I've played with him. The rapper, he's a good basketball player. Uh, yeah, you'd be surprised. I mean, basketball is basketball is life and people that love the game and it, it bonds you and you can, you can, you can cross so many demographics. If, if you just kind of share your love and passion for the game, you'd be surprised at how many friendships and, and bonds you, you can cultivate having nothing in common with someone outside of the fact that you both are hoop heads. I completely understand because almost all of my close relationships in life have come in one form or another through through basketball, so I, I get exactly what you're talking about. Graham, how do you deal with, with people who have preconceived notions about who you are based upon what they see from TV? Um, you know, I, I think patience. I, I've been very fortunate, and I don't want to preach, but, uh, you know, I have found Jesus and religion in my life, and I have a great relationship with in, in that regard. And I, I think giving grace and understanding of you know, if, if someone is willing to take the time and, and, and find out who I am as a person, then I'll, I'll then I'll put some stake in what they think of me. But but people that don't know me and if they have a negative take on me, I, I just I take it with a grain of salt and, and hope that one day their, their hearts will change and that they'll see that, you know, I'm just a regular good guy and I want everyone to be happy. I wish still upon no one, even uh, former basketball coaches that I may or may not like to this day. I mean, there's it's just. You know, people are going to have their 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 preconceived notions, and you can't change anyone's mind for them. They kind of have to come to the realization that maybe they're judging, or maybe they are seeing something in the wrong light. But I always feel like in, in time, if I'm given the opportunity to present who I am and, and spend time with you, that you'll walk away knowing, okay, worst comes to worst, he's a good guy. You know, he might not be my favorite person. Uh, we might differ on on political or religious views, but uh, you know, he's a good guy. He's a nice guy, and and, and he never. He's never going to do anything detrimental to me to, to hinder my life. I only want to push and lift others up, regardless of, of how you feel in life about religion or politics or your job or career. Uh, you know, I want the best for you, you know, and I'm never going to do anything to hinder that. Well, sort of along those lines, I mean, on Instagram, you got over 80,000 followers uh, at Graham Bunn on Instagram. On Twitter, same name, you've got over 60,000 followers. I'm curious as to how you keep your ego in check. Um, I think I think my father does a good job of doing that. Uh, he's he's a Marine, and and I understand that. Um, you know, I'm surrounded by such successful people that I I honestly don't feel very important in the world outside of my circle. I feel very important in the circle that I'm in. I feel very important to my friends. I feel very important to my family. Um, but I, I honestly, I, I've never felt super important in the world of, of people that have never come across me in my life as far as physical exchanges, like shaking hands or, or having a conversation. So I guess it just has never really occurred to me to have a big ego because I, I don't think that I, I'm doing anything that would, that would put me in that realm. I mean, I'm friends with Michael B. Jordan, who's, who's a massive movie star now, and, and uh, I've got friends out here that are TV stars. and. Uh, I'm, I'm really close with one of the biggest agents in the world and, and they're all very down to earth and very humble and nice. And I, I just think that the people in my circle set a really good example of, you know what, you need to be important in the, in the people of your circle and be a good person and, and help the people that are around you and the rest will kind of take care of itself. So I, I, I'd like to think that I'm an extension to the people that don't know me of the person that I am to the people that do. 
I asked the question because every time I seem to go on your Instagram account, uh, I see your, your picture on there. It seems like 50 girls are telling you how wonderful you are and if you'll marry them and all that stuff. And I figure at some point that's got to go to your head. I, I would just have to imagine, uh, or at least it's a nice pick me up. Anytime you need one, I'm sure you can just post a picture and, uh, feel that flattery. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, uh, the ladies are, are very kind to me and that that's good. I think honestly, uh, I'm dating a girl out here now who's way out of my league. So I think that that's more, that's more of a pick me up, you know, having having the girl in my life that I have now uh, than any kind of Instagram post. But yeah, I mean, I, I have been the ladies have been kind to me in my life, and I would never refuse that. And I've been very fortunate to have dated some wonderful girls and had some wonderful relationships and have culti- cultivated some some great friendships with some incredibly gorgeous girls way out of my league. So uh, I've I've definitely I try to keep my ego in check, but I know that I'm incredibly blessed when it comes to that. Well, when people hear that uh, I know you on on some level, uh, female uh, certain the females go berserk is all I can say. So they, um, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. promised that I'd give uh, you their phone number after this, but now I've got reason not to because you're dating someone. So I can just tell yeah, them yeah. that that's that's not happening. <laughs> but for the hoop heads out there, it's important that they realize like you have not given up basketball. You still mentor and train younger players. Uh, you were a big impact on Sean Kilpatrick's life, who uh, played at the University of Cincinnati, standout for Cincinnati, and, and hopefully we're going to see him make an impact in the NBA. Can you just quickly tell me about uh, the role that basketball still plays in your life? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, and we, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but basketball has really given me you know, 90% of, of the blessings that I have in my life. Uh, I'm a hoop junkie. I love basketball. I think it's the greatest game that's, uh, that's that's out there. Um, I, I truly do believe that if you really want it, that you can you can achieve it in the game. And I think it teaches you a lot of things that how to be successful working with others in life. And um, yeah, I, I try to stay in the gym. Unfortunately, my, my game is fading quicker than I would like it to. But uh, I, I try to play two or three times a week. I try not to get too upset when I don't perform at the level that I think I should. I'm getting a little older now and I got to come to grips with that. But uh, I try to stay in the gym. I try to mentor. I try to pass on some of the things that I learned to other people. And, you know, I'm a, like you said, I'm a big fan of Sean Kilpatrick. He's, he's a great player. I've, I've been a part of his journey for almost six years now. And I think that we're going to hear from him in the NBA. And I, I feel like he's going to prove a lot of people wrong because I see a lot of, of myself in him and the way he approaches the game. I, I see a lot more talent in him than I ever had. But, um, you know, he's a first-team All-American and, the heart of a lion and just a guy that I, I believe in his character and his integrity. And I think that he's not going to stop until he's, you know, achieved some really big things in the league. And I think we'll hear from him in a year or two. I don't know if it'll happen this year. I know he had a strong summer league and I'm really proud of, of the way he's grown as a player. I think he needs to add a few things to his game defensively, but uh, I think that's going to come. And I think that you will see him on an NBA roster here very soon. Graham, I, I can't thank you enough for everything uh, for the people that uh, are listening if you're in L.A., you can catch him on Go Country 105. Uh, it's Graham and Deborah in the morning, 6 to 10 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, also on yep. Instagram, like I said, Graham is at Graham Bunn on Instagram and at Graham Bunn on Twitter. Plus uh, this motivational audiobook. Real quickly, what's that all about, Graham? Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of just it deals with my, my journey and, and, and relationship with Jesus. It's, it's a new thing for me, and I, I definitely want, don't want to preach religion to anyone. It's more about relationship and community and, and just something that, that kind of gave me peace in my life. 
Um, when you leave something that means as much to you as basketball did for me, I, I had I had journeyed and looked for, you know, I'm putting parentheses and I know no one can see me, but air quotation marks and looking for a new team. And, uh, you know, when I found my relationship with Jesus and the community that I'm in, I'm out here, I'm a part of the city church here uh, in L.A. And uh, that was that is now my my team. And, and I feel like it has, has really changed my outlook on life and given me some inner peace in my heart. Uh, leaving the game of basketball, and, and I'm still involved as much as I can, but it'll never be the same, was very hard on me. You know, it was my life. I love the game. I want to be around it as much as possible. It gives me incredible amounts of, of happiness still to this moment. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to share that. And uh, I had a misconception about religion and relationships before really getting involved with the church. And I just wanted to share that and hope that it would help other people dealing with hardships in their life. Well, I really appreciate you uh jumping on with us it's it's been a lot of fun and uh incredibly insightful and you are one of the uh just kindest and most generous people that that i know entertainer or not and i am so happy for all the success that uh you've garnered recently well the check is in the mail my man and drinks on me the next time we see each other all right deal deal thank you so much grand bun yeah man have a great day huge thanks to grand bun he was awesome, as I expected. I know some of those stories are, are tough to tell and tough to talk about, but we certainly appreciate him doing that on the Great Point Podcast. One more time, you can check out Graham Bunn at Graham Bunn on Instagram, same handle on Twitter. You can check out me, Adam Stanko, at Naismith Lives. And the one big thing we want from everyone is to please, please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, iTunes following is, has been picking up, and more subscriptions we can get, the better. I love the fact that people are uh, joining this conversation. So thank you, and uh, we'll catch up with you next time.